Good morning and welcome to the Union Market District Radio, an audio experience at the intersection of culture and commerce. I'm your host today, Claudia Watts, and I'm excited to bring a great conversation to you. In this episode, I am speaking with Joe Lappin, Songbird Music House and Cafe, and the recently opened Birdland in Union Market, Mallory Shelter of Mallory Shelter Jewelry, and Gary Williams of Creative Theory Agency to discuss how their businesses have persevered through the dual pandemic of coronavirus and racial injustice. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, millions of people, including more than 150,000 DC residents, have lost their jobs. As a result of this, you know, there have been many shutdowns and some of those hit hardest have been the creatives and entrepreneurs. We've seen closure of cultural staples like U Street Music Hall, Black Cat, and 18th Street Lounge. Venues that not only gave us many a memorable night, they also helped sustain many of the city's creatives. As if that wasn't heavy enough, the tension in the air has been further heightened by the fight for racial justice throughout our nation as a response to the countless killings of Black men and women at the hands of police. Viral content reached a more captured audience, spurring rallies, protests, and calls to action. The conversation about the long-standing mistreatment of Black people in the United States has come to the forefront. As we enter a new level of social awareness, it also presents a new set of challenges when it comes to connecting with customers and audiences. Our guests today have had to navigate through these, and they will provide insight on the solutions therein. So let's begin. Um, I first want to want to have each of you kind of explain your respective businesses, and I will start with you, Mallory. My name is Mallory Shelter. Uh, I am the designer and creator behind uh, Mallory Shelter Jewelry. I also own um, Shelter, which is a retail storefront in the Union Market District, primarily focused on jewelry, but we also sell um, small accessories and home goods. Um, and most recently, I started the DC Shop Small Movement, um, which brings together small businesses throughout the city. Um, and we host a platform where shoppers can discover uh, new businesses. Awesome. Thank you. So, um, Joe, you're up. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, <clears throat> my name is Joe Lappin. I am co-owner of Songbird Music House in Adams Morgan and now uh, the new Birdland Records um, in the Union Market District on Fifth Street. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, we are a, a music-centric company, music-centric business. Um, uh, started Songbird five years ago in Adams Morgan um, and have, have, you know, grown with that business, which is a small venue as well as a, a bar and daytime record cafe space. Um, which uh, has, has sort of been, you know, our concept to be more of an all-day music space, borrowing from some of the uh, concepts that we've seen in, in, in Great Britain and other places with uh, the Record Cafe. And, you know, as, as part of uh, the evolution and um, I would say certainly you know, 2020 has had an impact on everything and, and uh, us bringing Birdland Records to Union Market. So happy to speak more about that. But of course, Birdland Records is a more straight ahead record and music store um, building on that side of the business and just, uh, yeah, providing um, mostly vinyl records and music retailing for, uh, for folks at Union Market. That's awesome. I actually really like Songbird. And now that you say that it's, um, you know, kind of like a Great Britain vibe, I definitely get that. Um, and so, Gary, tell us a little bit about Creative Theory. Sure. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Gary Williams, Jr., co-founder and chief creative officer of Creative Theory Agency, based here in D.C. in the Union Market District. Um, we are a full-service um, marketing creative agency that uh, focuses on multicultural um, audiences and initiatives and objectives, um, but not limited to multicultural. That's just kind of where we, where we hang our hat and the work we love to do. Um, a lot of our work uh, involves storytelling um, around these uh, underrepresented groups um, and really elevating the voices of these groups um, and uh, making sure that 
the stories that are told within these larger big brand and corp uh, marketing objectives are authentic um, and are uh, organic, uh, but most importantly, are seen uh, in the light that they deserve. Um, so excited to, you know, talk and um, really uh, dive into kind of, you know, how we've had to pivot being a uh, probably a largely experiential focused um, agency. Uh, and obviously we know uh, experiences have been, um, you know, gone virtual now. So uh, again, happy to be here and uh, talking. Uh, so excited. Well, I'm happy to have you all here, um, especially because each of you has a slightly different set of challenges that you're facing with the pandemic. You know, obviously there's a shutdown and people can't come to the store. Um, but like you said, Gary, when you have something that is experience based primarily, that's especially difficult, um, you know. Also, when you're focused on serving underserved communities who are obviously hit very hard. Um, so I'd love it if each of you kind of talked about some of the biggest challenges you experienced um, keeping your business going during this time. And I guess maybe like um, it may have been different phases. You know, what you did at the beginning may have shifted towards the middle or towards the end now that we are somewhat, you know, reopened um, and kind of talk about how you're prepping for what may be a second wave. So, yes, like you touched on a little bit, um, obviously we we have an, a storefront, which requires people to come in and shop in person. And that became um, not possible with all the shutdowns. So, um, you know, Right off the bat, we had to pivot from a primarily physical location to switching everything to be online. Um, that is easier said than done. So it was a big feat. And, you know, I'm lucky that we had prioritized e-commerce from the beginning of um, opening our shop. And I had also run an e-commerce business. But just to put it into perspective, uh, in 2019, our e-commerce sales made up 5% of our total sales. And this year, they're at about 70. Um, so, you know, we really had to focus on shifting and how we bring an experience that, um, you know, we sell a, an upscale product. So how do we bring that customer service experience to an online um, environment? So people are still feeling catered to and welcomed into our space, but it's, it's very different. Um, so we poured a lot of resources and are still continuing to do so um, into an online experience, whether it's like a chat functionality we now have on our site where People can talk to, um, you know, an employee in real time. Um, we have uh, hand delivery options. We have wish list options. So we're continuing to really grow, um, you know, that side of our business. But that was certainly a huge unforeseen pivot that, you know, we had to quickly scramble and figure out. Definitely. And so, you know, Joe, you were in the midst of opening a new store, right? Yeah, I mean... What, what are we going to do? What have we been doing? Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, we, we, we fielded questions like these so many that it's like, um, you know, uh, I'll talk about whatever, to be honest. Like people can be as like specific and, and you know, uh, as, as they want. But um, I mean, I, we, we basically got right? Shut down, right? At Songbird. So Songbird, you know, being a venue and a, and a bar primarily um, got shut down. I mean, we haven't done hardly anything inside in what, seven or eight months now. So um, I mean, you can imagine the business impact of that, right? Like I, I, I placed Songbird in the sort of bar and hospitality industry, even though it's got like the music and the daytime portion of it, that was always kind of a, um, of, an add on, you know, like a value add, like for, for people that just want to have that kind of thing. Um, so like, okay, I fought really hard to get some of the outdoor space that we have in Adams Morgan. Um, I spent a lot of time on that in, in May and June and, and July probably. And we got a little bit of what we wanted, but, but not, um, not all of it. If people may remember, we actually had 18th street closed for a weekend. 
but you know, so outdoor has been obviously very important, um, but it still is only able to kind of really, you know, make up for or replace a small portion of the overall business. So like, you know, you mentioned all those other venues. I mean, it, it, it hangs by a thread for, for this community. Um, That's ex- actually kind of what I was going to get to asking you, you know, watching other cultural staples that are a part of DC's like music ecosystem kind of fall by the wayside, unfortunately. I Is there anything happening within DC's music scene or industry to try to preserve some of these landmark spaces or, you know, with artists? Has there been any talk of that? I mean, what we're talking about here is essentially money um, for for this industry. Like, you know, they're doing a pilot where they're letting a few venues try indoor shows and things like that. Um, But the capacity is so limited. I mean, the, the, the hospitality music, you know, let's all go inside and, and, and hang out industry is not positioned to sustain or make money right now. Um, And so really, you know, a big part of the conversation is, has focused on, are we going to support what, what distinctions are we going to draw with like who we support? I mean, because, you know, shouts out like restaurants. I mean, you start drawing certain lines, right. And it's like, everybody has needs. Um, You know, we, 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 we did, you know, PPP money. Um, We, there was some other small city programs, but you know, again, it's, you know, I, I would, tell you that probably most people are on somewhat of a a shoestring or a thread right now. Um, There are conversations, you know, yesterday I was out in front of city hall all day with a bunch of advocates and artists. It was the day of action. uh, They called it for the DC music venue relief act, which um, is a thing that uh, exists. It hasn't been like properly introduced or you know put on the agenda yet but it's out there and people know about it there's efforts at the federal level uh specifically for for venues um you know i i can speak more about this i don't want to like go so so far down this rabbit hole just trying to get a feel for you know what's been happening with the music industry you know it's music has been a hot topic here especially with the the don't mute dc and the go-go and everything and for dc to have its own kind of homegrown music and then also be home to so many other artists to lose out on those venues is really i mean it's setting it's kind of sets the culture of the city back it's been nice to see, you know, most of the people leading this uh, support, this DC Music Venue Relief Act, um, are not actually venue owners. Like, it's it's the community and, and artists and advocates. So, like, it's actually nice to see, you know, because the venues are sort of the hubs and the rallying points. Like, and, you know, it's awesome that music is sort of ubiquitous and takes place everywhere and can take place everywhere music can take place in a park music can take place on a truck you know music can take place as part of a protest whatever you can go on and on but like from a ecosystem economics you know the venues are the hubs i think in terms of like we can turn the lights on every day and, and hire and book bands. We can employ people every day, right? Like, um, so I guess my point is it's been nice that I guess the ecosystem has recognized that like venues are a hub worth supporting. Um, this, you know, and in turn, I of course want to support like gig worker unemployment and like extended unemployment and like options for people that work in this industry and what happens to them when things do go bad, right? Like that, that's sort of a topic for the whole creative community. So others should talk about that too, because like, you know, a lot of us and our people that we work with are not working on your typical, you know, W2 40 hour a week, you know, like payroll system. 
Definitely, definitely. So thank you for that. Um, so Gary, I know we touched earlier about a lot of your work being experience-based, um, but you, your agency did recently unveil the R Mule project at Union Market. And you know, public art is something that Union Market has been really getting into. And it's definitely, it's definitely a way to provide an experience that is also socially distant. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that project and the inspiration behind it? Sure. I think, um, you know, when we first, when COVID first hit, um, obviously it caught everyone by surprise. Uh, and I don't think anyone was really expecting um, it to be as severe as it was um, and to last as, as long as it's, as it's lasting, right? Um, but understanding the initial implications of it uh, and challenges that it brought to everyone, um, but specifically like the creative community, as well as, um, you know, the freelancers, the 1099ers um, in the service uh, industry. It's, um, you know, for us, we wanted to do something that could help and support these folks um, in their I guess, in their quest to be resilient during these times, right? And so, obviously, art being a big piece of what we do um, uh, and storytelling uh, being a, a large component as well, we wanted to kind of put those two things together um, and, uh, you know, bring this Arl Mule project to life. So the premise around it um, was basically an art piece. Uh, I don't know if you've been down there, but an art piece that states the word resilience, huge 2,000 plus square feet uh, in Union Market District on the side of Union Market, uh, the 6th Street side. Um, and that would point to uh, the website, which we're, which where we house stories from the creative community and the, you know, service community and those most affected by COVID. Um, and stories about how they've been resilient in past times and how they're being resilient now. Um, and the, the kind of the premise behind that was to hopefully, you know, create a sense of empathy uh, amongst folks who would come and visit the site, right? To know that you're not in this alone, um, that everybody is facing a challenge, whether you're service industry, whether you're a restaurant, whether you're a freelancer, whether you're creative, everybody is facing a challenge and everybody has to pivot. So um, those, the, the hope around sharing those stories was just that, you know, people would come and maybe resonate with someone and, and uh, you know, see someone or something in someone that would help them be a little bit more resilient during this time. And then the third piece of the website is a directory. We call it a helpfulness directory. And this is literally a directory of, you know, support, places of support, organizations, uh, funding um, for folks who are having challenging times during COVID. So you can go there, you can find funding. If you're a small business, you can find small businesses to support. You can find programs that are helping um, provide food for, uh, you know, these challenging times, programs that are helping provide money, um, childcare. Uh, there's just, it's just a, a, a well robust directory uh, of helpful links um, to hopefully guide folks in the right direction and a direction that may be able to, again, uh, support them in their, in their efforts to be resilient during this time. So um, that was the, the, you know, the basis and the foundation of the RMO project, which we launched, I think, I want to say two weeks ago, officially, um, and it's doing really well. People have been really, uh, you know, there's been some positive feedback around it and people have been finding uh, uh, support and really, um, you know, things to help them get through these challenging times. So we're excited about it. And I think just in the overall, like, in thinking about the times we're in and having to pivot. And at the beginning of this, obviously, us being a, you know, experiential kind of base um, agency, it was a little nerve wracking because uh, a lot of things got, uh, you know, just pulled from, from the table um, and a lot of uncertainty. Um, and I think it took a while for the industry to really pivot and, and, and really one, understand like this is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but then also like, what do we do now? Now that we have 
we can't do these IRL experiences, how do we pivot? Obviously, we all know it went virtual, so everything is virtual now. So for us, it was a challenge of not necessarily like we never worked in like virtual events before. But um, the challenge for us was to take our IRL minded and, and focused kind of experience and expertise and apply that to uh, you know a virtual setting. Um, and so our clients are looking for us to kind of how do we create the most authentic, memorable experience, virtual experience, um, you know, close, close to that IRL experience that people would, would have. And obviously you're never going to duplicate that, but um, at the same time, you know, these brands and these corporations definitely don't want to go dark for, you know, a whole year and, and definitely don't want to um, miss opportunities on engaging with uh you know, their customers, their followers, uh, their fans, however you want to, um, you want to position that. So, uh, you know, we've been able to do that, um, thankfully. Uh, and so in the midst of this COVID situation, we've actually grown and been able to bring on, um, uh, I would say, I think we hired probably six to are looking to hire probably six or seven more before the end of the year. Um, so, you know, I, I think it is a daunting time for most. Um, but I think what I've been trying to do is have a positive outlook on things um, and understanding that life is about seasons and, and that, you know, this is not going to last forever. And that we as humans have always adapted um, throughout the, throughout time. Right. And this is no different. Um, we will adapt. Uh, we will figure out, you know, adjustments that need to be made. Um, you know, it's, 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 and it, this sounds crazy to say, but like, it's going to be okay. Um, I think every industry is trying to figure out, uh, I don't want to see trying to figure out, I think every industry is figuring out how they're going to push through. Um, and I was just having a conversation about the DC music venues and, you know, the, all of them like Marvin's and the 930 club and all, all these venues closing um, with no like reopening potential in sight, just because, you know, we don't know when this thing is going to be over, but the music industry has been the most adaptive industry, I think, uh, you know, in, in recent times. And venues, um, much to, you know, what we were talking about on here is like, people love music, period. Music is a unifier. Nobody wants to see the music industry go under. Nobody wants to see the venues go under. And I think we're seeing that with the one with the Don't Mute DC, but also with the support around how can we keep these venues, these local DC venues open. And that, um, as Joe said, a lot of that support is coming from people who aren't in the industry. Uh, and that's what it's going to take for not just the music industry and music venues to, to bounce back, but for businesses in general to bounce back, it's going to have to be the people, the customers, the fans, those outside, um, of the space that are going to keep this thing alive. You touched on something about how you all have expanded into the digital space. And I want to, I definitely have a question for Joe, but I want to just put a pin in that really quickly because I want to talk to Mallory about the uh, Shop Small initiative. And, you know, what have you all, I know that you, we talked about how you've expanded your business into the digital space and like how you've started to create this luxury experience from afar, but how have you all been working with the DC Shop Small initiative to kind of guide other small businesses into pivoting their, pivoting their offerings? Yeah, um, so to step back a little bit, what kind of gave me this idea was when, you know, everything was shutting down and people, it felt very chaotic. Um, I, because I did feel a little more confident in the e-commerce space, I started offering free 30-minute um, 
Zoom calls with any small business across the country um, who was struggling to get their business online or just had any questions about it. Um, and I, you know, they were booking up really fast and people were having just a lot of different questions, but kind of all of the same question, which was basically like, how do I attract, how do I go from not having any online presence to attracting a shopper online? And that it, it's hard. It takes a lot of time. Um, and so, you know, it was clear to me that people had questions about it and were feeling very lost in this space. And, you know, I don't need to say that the internet is a huge <laughs> void. So, um, you know, it's really hard to to get the type of person you want to be shopping. Um, and, you know, that sparked an idea in my head about building a site um, that could be an aggregate for a lot of different small businesses. So, you know, we made it necessary that they had to be selling a product online, whether that was a gift card or, you know, actually their full storefront. Um, but there had to be an e-commerce element to their site. Um, but otherwise, as long as they were, you know, product-based in DC, Maryland, or Virginia, we could list them. Um, and, you know, the thinking behind that was really to have a place where a shopper in DC could land on the site and be like, okay, you know, I'm shopping for jewelry or I'm looking for something you know, a, a children's store or whatever it is and find um, a lot of different options and hopefully find something new um, that they were not aware of or, you know, they haven't seen, you know, they stick to their neighborhood and they're now exploring other places in DC. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty bare bones site. Um, we I'm running this completely on my own time. So I don't have necessarily the resources to pour uh, to make it the site I would love for it to be. But, um, you know, it does really serve a purpose of, a shopper coming to the site and, you know, hopefully discovering something new to them and making a purchase online um, and continuing to support uh, small businesses in their area. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's so needed. You know, so many people um, rely on their brick and mortar. And, you know, if you have a decent stream of customers that you are used to engaging with, it's, it's very scary to kind of step into a completely new space. The, the learning curve is, is pretty steep. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely worked with some artists who had to get their studio spaces online and, you know, create online shops. And many of them, you know, weren't familiar with technology at all. Like this is kind of their first, introduction to social media or any of that and so you know i'm i i just think that what you're doing is is amazing and i think that over time you'll totally get more support um from the community to help kind of build out the sites you want and provide even more resources yeah and it's been um so we we kind of launched um small business saturday in april um, as like a kicking off point for the DC Shop Small movement, we had um, over a hundred brands participate, and nearly all of them, I think ninety-seven percent of them, said they had a new customer come to their site that day. Um, we generated over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in sales um, across the city in one day. So, you know, again, it's it's not. Um, I hope that's sustained for a lot of people, but at the very least, I hope it it was a starting point for shoppers to consider, you know, how they're spending their dollars and that there is such a breadth of small businesses um, in the area that they were maybe not familiar with. Um, and so we're planning another event for November, but, you know, in the meantime, there's, there's still this hub that's growing daily of a lot of small businesses in the, in the city. Awesome. Awesome. And so now with Joe, so Gary mentioned something to mentioning something when he was speaking about these, taking these in real life experiences and moving them into a digital space. And so I've seen some music venues or like record stores kind of bring a, a band into a controlled space and kind of create a live concert or, you know, a series. And so do you see anything like that in Songbirds uh, or Birdland's future? Or do you have any other kind of ideas about how you might attack the, the virtual space? Sure. I mean, <clears throat> with respect to that, we have, we, we've been doing, um, uh, concerts and streams from the venue. Um, and certainly, you know, can, can look at doing stuff like that and producing content from Birdland as well. You know, I've done, uh, I, I do these like classic album 
discussions and, 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 and other things like that. Um, my observation about the music is like, A, trying to kind of recreate a concert as a live stream as a concept, like, is, is that the right way to go? Like for the long term, you know, like, you know, Gary mentioned sort of, you know, innovation and sustainability, right? Like there was a period there for, for a few months or whatever, where you're just sort of, it's like people, we don't know what's going on. Like what can, like, let's see something happen. And like, we want to support you. It's like, it was this very, you know, there, there was this phase, right. Where it's like, do something to make us feel normal. And like, we'll, we'll support you. But I don't think that that is like sustainable, if you will, um, as like what people are, are really going to, how they're going to behave and what they're going to do for kind of the long term, right? So like, okay, let's talk about music content, digital virtual content. Like Gary probably could be awesome at creating, you know, Venues are not naturally, especially small venues, we are not naturally in the game of creating virtual, digital, well, like we're in the game of putting on live shows and like turning on our speaker and having a sound tech and turning on our amps and bringing like that experience, right? Like NPR Tiny Desk is awesome at the experience of making a, a, a digital, you know, a, a, a virtual concert experience. Now, like they have invested, that's a media company. They've invested in the technology, the production, the branding and marketing, the talent, both on air and behind the scenes. Like I've been to tiny desk, you know, you're talking about very talented and high quality camera equipment. Now I've brought in some, some new, equipment, audio and visual for, for the live streaming. And I think we're putting out, you know, concert, uh, 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 content that looks and sounds pretty good, but like, is it going to be tiny desk from Songbird and from every single venue? Like query that. Right. Um, and I, I think there is innovation to be had like for sure in the digital space. Um, but I guess you see where I'm, where I'm going with that question is at the end of the day, you know, venues are, are serving a particular IRL experience. And I don't know that there is a full pivot. Like there are things that we should definitely be looking at and doing. And like, for me, you know, I don't see many other venues with like the day food program and the records and, and stuff that we're doing. So like, that's a thing, a, a way that I've always diversified my thinking and my business. But like, again, the core business is the core business. And I think more so than thinking about replacing that with virtual digital content again there's always going to be a place for virtual and digital music content like music videos are dope like the musical performance on saturday Night live every weekend is dope like so so that there's a place for that um more so than that are we going to somehow look at like replacing venues in, or not or, or, or like this thing, this moment that drive-ins had, or this moment that like other outdoor stuff had, like that's more what I think about in terms of that versus that we're all just going to be on our phones, like watching virtual concerts every night. Well, no, I love that. I, I mean, I think that, I think that it's a very valid point you make about everything not being able to pivot so easily into the digital space and, and probably that it shouldn't necessarily. Um, I think that the idea of outside concerts and venues, you know, is, is definitely more sustainable. You know, I'm, I'm not one that wants to be staring at my screen all of the time. I, I think that I have entirely too much screen time now as it is. 
Um, so I'm definitely interested in seeing how the music industry and some of these other, you know, more in real life experiences pivot beyond just a, a kind of a Zoom concert or conference or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm going to just kind of switch gears a little bit. We're going to come back to, you know, looking forward in each of you all's, you know, respective industries. But, you know, as it relates to social uh, injustice, what do you think the role of the entrepreneur and the creative, the creative entrepreneur is? You know, how are you talking to your customers and your audience to let them know that you're on the side of not just equality, but equity? And um, what that, how you, how you, how that manifests through your brand? I'll take it, but yeah, it's a little of a like a, I'm gonna say easy question because our brand is is literally, you know, based on that. So it's not a it's not a message. Yeah, no, it's not something that we have to, you know, say out loud, if you will. Um, it's something we live. It's something that we. It's our mission. It's our purpose. Um, and so for us, it's really just about making sure that all the work that we take on is a lot is in alignment with the mission that we've set out to accomplish, right? And our purpose. And, and that always revolves around um, elevating uh, underrepresented and underserved communities, right? And, and so um, even when this, these last few months, you know, and I think in light of some of the work we've done and awards we've won, and then unfortunate deaths and murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the heightened awareness around Black lives, um, we've just gotten a great deal of work being a Black-owned agency focused on marketing, right? So, um, but even still, there's been stuff that has come through that we've had to say no to, one, because we felt like it wasn't aligned with our purpose. Um, we felt like the motive wasn't necessarily um, in alignment with uh, our mission. Um, and so, you, you know, <clears throat> with all of the success that we've seen, there's still intentionality behind the work that we take on and how that affects our community, not just locally, but, you know, nationally um, and globally. Uh, so, it's it's uh, for us it's, it's it's different right it's just making sure that we're maintaining um and keeping a close eye um and, and hold on our purpose uh which is celebrating um and elevating underrepresented communities you know my observation like the further you move down the spectrum of businesses that are also part of the culture, I think the further you move towards, you know, an important responsibility, integration, whatever the word is with, with this topic, right? Like if you go into 7-Eleven or like CVS, it's, it's like whatever, you're there to like buy your shit and get out or whatever. When you start talking, as you start moving down the spectrum towards like music venues and cultural institutions and establishments, um, there's a standard, there's a responsibility, there's <clears throat> whatever you want to call it, like a judgment um, on what is represented, reflected, all that stuff, right? So, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man. Um, you know, my challenges in those regards are in all respects subordinate to the challenge, to the greater challenges of others, which are to, 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 to break into these industries, to have equal opportunity access representation in these industries. Right. So like, I, of course, look at my challenges in this space as subordinate to the challenges of others. Nonetheless, we all have these challenges, right. Of like, addressing and thinking about these issues. Um, and my thing is like, I just, I think it's about um, trying to really exercise respect and, and uh, 
and 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 the way you treat people and situations like one-on-one like if i can rest on the fact that i treated those people and these people the same and well today i can rest on that every single night as like trying to be representative of my brand or you know it's that thing of like if you never tell any lies you don't have to like lose any sleep over reconciling them in your head right um that's kind of been the approach I try to take. In other words, I I I, co- I contrast that with like being super um, putting stuff out, like to to say what you are, right? Because there's this impulse in 2020 for businesses to do something. Like some people use the word performative. It may or may not be performative. It may be authentic. It may be this. It may be appropriate. But like, there's this impulse to to do, like show something. Um, and that's a discussion too. Like it's, uh, I I guess my approach has been like less about that and more about like the day to day. I mean, that makes sense. And I think that when you say the performative versus the more authentic is something, I think, uh, you know, Gary, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that you kind of alluded to that and that might be why you ended up turning down some opportunities that weren't necessarily brand aligned because you felt that they might be performative as opposed to authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, obviously there was, there was a surge of support for specifically the black community uh, in the last probably six months. Right. Um, And a lot of companies, brands, people were, contributing to kind of performative um, support for the community. Uh, and so one thing that we we did uh, when things started coming into, you know, our inbox around help for marketing initiatives around Black Lives was look into the corporate history of their support around Black Lives, right? Um, and not just uh, outward um, showcasing of that support, but what are you doing internally um, around, and not just Black lives, but underrepresented groups in general. I'm, I'm talking women, I'm talking LGBTQIA community, you know, disabled community. So, you know, if, if, if you aren't moving or representing internally what you're trying to showcase externally then we don't necessarily want to be aligned with this work right so um again you know it's it's really about being intentional uh and making sure that um you know the people that we work with our clients are serious about providing um equitable opportunity uh serious about anti-racism uh you know serious about women's rights and you know all of those things that are important to us um and making sure that that is not just an external expression but it's a internal representation as well um, and that they're doing the work internally now granted a lot of them have just started to really do that work um and so there are exceptions um where you know clients come to us with plans like this is what we want to do internally. This is what we want to do externally. Now we, we can get on board with that and have like, let us help you, um, you know, internally uh, figure out some programs and things you can do to, whether that's boost your minority employee rate or, you know, get women on your leadership team um, and things of that nature. We'll, we'll definitely come in and help you do that. Um, but if it's just a strictly marketing play, um, and performative play, then we don't necessarily want to be a part of that. And I think that, you know, with what you said, Joe, it sounds more like you're saying with the, with handling things on the day-to-day that it's more you are, more of you just doing as opposed to saying what you're doing and just trying to channel, channeling that through the experience you provide people. I think there's that. I think like people, you know, people know BS and people know like, 
when you're trying too hard and things like that. And like people know when you're maybe kind of patronizing, whatever, like when there's that impulse to do, I think you have to immediately have that counter check of like the things I just said, which is like, am I patronizing? Am I, am I, you know, being performative, whatever. So like, I don't know. It's just a counterbalance and it's like an important, important conversation because it's a lot of, you know, the, 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 the standards and the expectations and the judgments, it's, it's, it's one of the important topics of this year, right? Like once you get past the, of course, the very important immediate topics of things like George Floyd and what led to that and the, all of those things. When you get to the next layer of like the cultural layer that we're talking about, um, which in terms of like, what does the community want to see from its businesses, small businesses, large businesses, community organizations? It's like a really important conversation to let people of good minds and good faith talk to each other. Like, what are your standards? What are your expectations? What do you want to see for, for me? What do you not want to see for me? And if, if we're all grounded in sort of good faith, good faith, self-awareness, generally those types of things, um, you know, I think it's good to have conversations like this. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so thank you all so much for your insight today. Uh, but so we're almost out of time before we go. I would love it if you each could give me just one thing that you think that other business owners like yourself could do to stay agile and innovative in this unpredictable time. Um, uh, that's tough. I think everybody's you know, again, facing a different challenge. But I think one thing we should all try to do, and I, and I know it's, it's difficult in times like this, but to take care of ourselves. Uh, you know, self-care is, is, to me, is key. There's a lot going on around us. Um, uh, and if we are not in a place where we can operate, you know, at our full, full, full potential, um, you know, that it kind of affects everything around us and we're not able to give our, our full selves to our work, which ultimately um, is needed to make it through these times. So I would just say, pay attention to yourself, you know, take the needed time for yourself and, and investing in your mental um, physical, whatever it is you need, uh, to kind of stay positive, stay healthy and stay in a good head space. Um, that's kind of something that I've been trying to do and being very intentional about no matter what's going on around me, what's going on within work, like really just making sure I am um, intentional about my well being, Um, and it's really helped me to kind of tackle some challenging times with work. Um, so that, that would be my kind of thought there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mallory? Yeah. Um, so I appreciate Gary saying that because I, it's incredibly important. Um, on top of that, I would say um, just really leaning on the small business community. Um, I think I have been lucky in this journey that I do have, um, you know, friendships that I've formed even prior to COVID with fellow small business owners, but I've also been um, really amazed and appreciative of new relationships I've formed in this um, with just people reaching out, whether it's, you know, through social media or through email or having, you know, a, a phone call, um, you know, just, one, to be able to commiserate with someone who kind of knows what it's like, regardless of the industry that you're in as a small business owner, um, to go through this incredibly trying time, um, you know, but also just to have like a sounding board for ideas or to be able to be like, are you making sales right now? I'm not, or, you know, like just have people to, to kind of bounce things off of because it can, you know, 
COVID aside, being a small business owner can feel really isolating at times. You often don't have coworkers or you're making a lot of decisions that you feel ill-equipped to do. And so I think, um, you know, even now with this layered on top of it, uh, it becomes much more challenging and then remove the in-person element from, you know, a lot of our businesses and it feels really strange. So I think, you know, being able just to have a community of people to rely on and, you know, that can be cold calling someone or, or, you know, reaching out to someone who you do have that relationship with, um, you know, it's been crucial right now just to have, you know, those, that community or, or tribe of people that you can really, you know, lean on. Definitely. Thank you. And Joe, get the last word. <laughs> I mean, I, I would mostly co-sign them. Uh, what, what Gary Mallory said, like, Gary kind of nailed it in terms of, uh, you know, I think in 2020, you know, as small business people, our like passions and our work are intertwined. So that thing of like separate, you know, separating work and life is is not really so much of a thing for us in small business. But like, if anything, in 2020, like some of what Gary was saying, I think actually the practice of at least you know some emotional or mental separation, um, and what that how that can help you in terms of how you just treat family, treat friends, treat employees, treat, um, everybody, you know, uh, is, is as important as anything during this time. So that's just me sort of building on what Gary said. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining me today. And thank you to everyone in our audience uh, for joining us on Union Market District Radio for our program, Resilience Through Art. I've been your host, Claudia Watts. You can follow me on IG at Call Me Claude and the Washington Informal Bridge at WI Bridge DC. You can also check out more episodes and cool conversations on Union Market District Radio, your favorite podcast platform, um, and also on the Union Market DC YouTube channel. So thanks again for tuning in and we'll speak to you next time.